we're looking at, uh, of course, grace, the power of the gospel, but we're looking at grace and works don't mix. And the reason why this is subject is kind of important is because I think we, we see that in the lives of people until we have an understanding of really what grace is. There is that mixing of the two and it, <clears throat> it just doesn't work. It's kind of like trying to mix oil and water. They, it, it just doesn't, doesn't work out. And, and the reason it doesn't work out is if we are at a place where we think there's anything that we need to do that what Jesus hasn't, has done isn't enough, um, we're never going to be fully confident in our walk. You know, I, I think one of the things that the message of grace does is it really, it really gives us confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ because we know that it's not dependent upon us, that it's all dependent upon Him. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. In our notes it says, when you believe on, Je on Christ, <clears throat> God sends forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts and we're born again. Uh, and because we're born again. And it's, it's, it's all because of Jesus. It's what he's done for us. And again, I just want to reiterate the fact that that's where our, our confidence truly lies. And this passage, our first passage there in 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> the first chapter, the 30th verse. <clears throat> I just think this is such an interesting verse. And it says, <clears throat> but of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. But, but notice what it says there. And uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like what I shared on Sunday, that... <clears throat> When we're, when we're studying Scripture, we don't, we don't have a right to, to our interpretation that we take half the verse and say that this is for today, and then, but we say this, this other half of the verse, that this doesn't apply. You know, we, we keep it in context, and if, if the first part of the verse applies to us, so does the, the second part of the verse. And, and uh, you know, <clears throat> if you remember, I was using... Um, James, uh, where he talks about how our sins have been forgiven. And, uh, you know, not only that, but then how by the stripes of Jesus we've been healed. And so we look at that and we, uh, we, we see that it's not, you, you can't just take part of the verse. You have to take the entire verse. You can't just pick and choose what we're going to believe and what we're not going to believe. Uh, we, we either accept the Word of God or we don't accept the Word of God. <clears throat> Remember years back, I had a young couple. Uh, this was right after I'd moved here, had taken over the church, and I'd just married them. And They were living in Ankeny, and they weren't able to get up to Jefferson. Um, they, they came mostly on Sundays, but they weren't able to get up for any of the other studies. And and he was a brand new Christian because 
you know, the night before their wedding, I had met with them and, and he got born again. And so I wanted him to get the foundation. And so um, I offered to uh, drive down to Ankeny every week and do a Bible study with them. And uh, <clears throat> what I used for my, my Bible study, because I wanted to get the foundations in them, I used my, my teaching from Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, where it's talking about the six elementary principles of Christ, which were our repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions on washings or baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so I, I just start with repentance from dead works and we just go right on down the line through them. And I, I told them, you know, if you had any friends or anything that wanted to come to the study, they were, they were definitely welcome to do so. And uh, <clears throat> so I'd, I'd gone through repentance from dead works, took several weeks, and then I went through faith. And um, then I got into baptisms, and I'd talked about John's baptism, how John's baptism doesn't apply to us today because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that signified to the Jews that they were turning from tr putting their trust in the law to putting their trust in, in Jesus Christ. We talked about water baptism. I talked about being baptized into Christ when we're born again. And <clears throat> then I got into uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, you know, in my, my teaching, uh, this particular night, he had, they had some friends that were coming. And uh, one of the friends was, uh, um, he was a student at Faith Baptist Bible College there in, in Ankeny. And, and so, I don't know, I think he was in his third or fourth year or something like that. And and so I got, I, the, this one particular night, the night they were there, I was talking about healing. And I was talking about it, how you, you've got to study Scripture in context. And a lot of people, when they take this particular verse and they begin to talk about healing, they say, well, that isn't really talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. But I said, if you take it in the context of what he's talking about, and if you take the particular word that's being used in the Greek, it actually can't mean anything other than healing, uh, talking about physical healing. It's not talking about spiritual healing. And so I'm sitting there and he pulls out his Greek New Testament and he starts reading it in his Greek New Testament. And of course, I'm not real secure, so I'm sitting here thinking, boy, I sure hope I'm right on that one. <clears throat> you know, because I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar. I know how to use the helps and so forth. Um, but, you know, to say I'm a Greek scholar, I mean, after one semester of Greek, I don't think you qualify. And, uh, but anyway, he, he didn't say anything that night. And, and so they shared with me the next week that he said after I left, he said, you know, I was reading this in the Greek and he is absolutely correct. There's no way that this can be interpreted. And so what happened, and I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I'm kind of happy about it. Um, he ended up leaving um, the Baptist College because uh, they wouldn't accept what the Bible said. You know, it's interesting. So many people say, we just believe the Bible. But they don't believe the Bible. They believe what they believe about the Bible. We're not supposed to believe simply what we believe about the Bible. We're supposed to believe what the Bible says. That means we take it literally. You know, <clears throat> um, I was talking with an individual today, 
He came in, he's trying to sell me advertisement. Um, but he, he, he's, uh, he grew up in the denomination that I grew up in. And he's talking about his church, how they, they pulled out of the synod uh, because uh, they had begun to um, teach that the Bible, the Word of God, was not infallible. In other words, it doesn't necessarily mean what it says. Let me tell you something. The Bible means what it says. It's God-inspired, it's God-spoken, and when God said it, he knew exactly what he said. Well, you say, well, God didn't say it was written by, you know, men. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is third person of Trinity, and so the Bible is written by God. It might have been men that penned it, but it was God that spoke it, that, that brought it. And so we accept it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, without it, we're going to sink. And so uh, the word is truth. And so anyway, getting back here to um, 1 Corinthians, I love this, this chapter because for years and years in my upbringing, you know, uh, we were taught that <clears throat> through the completed works of Jesus, we've been redeemed. You know what, you won't ever find, I mean, if, if, they, if they believe the Bible at all, and they believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, they'll agree with you if you say, we're the redeemed of the Lord, and everybody will shout, yes, amen. In fact, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so we are the redeemed of the Lord because of what Jesus did for us. But in the context of this, we're not only redeemed through the works of Jesus, we're made righteous through the works of Jesus. And again, uh, most, most Christians won't have a problem with that, that they are the righteousness of God in Christ, as it says in, in Corinthians 5.21, that we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. They don't, they don't have a problem with that. We're righteous because of Jesus. But then you turn to sanctification, they'll say, well, but you're, we're, we're sanctified you know, by the things that we're do, what we do. No, we're sanctified by the things that Jesus did. And so we are, we are redeemed, we are righteous, we are sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, you're saying that we all live and walk the perfect life? No, but our sanctification in our life is a result of the workings of Jesus. When we believe what Jesus did for us, we begin to change. We begin to align ourselves up with that. An individual that says they can believe in Jesus and there never be any change in their life is a liar. <laughs> they believe about Jesus. But if we believe, if we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus accomplished what he accomplished for us, that will produce change in our lives. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so the works of the Holy Spirit are a result of what Jesus accomplished for us and through our born-again experience. And so, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are redeemed through him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things 
have become new. Let me back up to the 16th verse. It says, therefore, from now on, we we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And so we're, we're to know one another according to the Spirit. You know, that's why it's not our duty to go around reminding everybody of their failings and of their shortcomings. We're to go around reminding everybody as born-again believers of what Jesus accomplished in their life. Not to condemn people. We're to encourage people. We're to build people up. We're to show them who, you know, the, the struggle that people have is accepting that they are who Christ says that they are. I I don't know about you, the people that I know, they don't have a problem accepting who they are according to the world. I'm not coming after you or anything. I'm I'm just, I, I see your bare arms and I know you're gonna get chilly. So just take care of that. People's eyes balls, eyes change when I start walking towards them during the service. <clears throat> you don't have to worry too much. You're not sitting in the front row. I've never slapped anybody in church unless they were sitting in the front row. So, <clears throat> so uh, people don't have a problem accepting who they are. In fact, that, that's one of our biggest problems. It's one of the biggest problems with change is that we can't identify with the change. And we won't identify with it until we identify with what Christ has done in our lives. And so I believe that's why he he says here um, what he says. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, Okay, if we do that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so if we're, if we're reminding anybody of anything, we need to be reminding them that they're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We need to be reminding them of what Christ has been able to accomplish and do in their lives. But again, I think religion for so long has done just the opposite of that. I don't know, I think I shared this a few weeks ago, but you know, <clears throat> I, I, used to, I remember going to meetings and somebody would preach a fire and hip, brimstone message and you just feel so, you know, I, I'd walk out and say, oh, it just feels so good to be beaten once in a while. You know what, it doesn't. Because it doesn't produce any change. The only thing it produces in your life is a guilt, is guilt and a sense of the inability to be able to change. Because according to a condemnation message that condemns me, it condemns me for who I am and it convinces me that I can't do something, although I've got to do something, but I know I can't do anything. And so it leaves you absolutely hopeless 
It's like so many things, it, can, it, it, it makes you feel good for the moment. But there's, there's nothing eternal about it. There's nothing lasting about it. And that's the thing about Jesus, what he's done in our life. What he's done in our lives is eternal. That's why it's so important for us to remind one another of what Jesus has truly done for us because everything in society, everything in the world wants to strip us of that. It wants to convince us that we're still no good. It wants to convince us that we still can't accomplish it. Well, we can't. But when we know who we are in Christ Jesus, we begin to realize, I don't have to. Because Jesus has already done it for me. And so it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm a new man. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, um, one of the things about the, the, going to the prison, it's, you know, sometimes you're, you're, you're preaching at individuals that are so beaten down, they have such, a, uh, such hopelessness because everything around them is negative and, and hopeless. And, and periodically I'll get inspired to uh, um, what's the word that I want? Encourage, what, what's an encourager knowing? Exhort them. You know, and so I'll, I'll get exhorting them in the word of God and I'll just begin to declare that they are brand new creations in Christ Jesus, that old things have passed away, all things have become new, that the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them because greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. And I can see it on their faces. I can literally see hope come into their lives as a result of the word of God being spoken over them rather than negativity and hopelessness. And you know, <clears throat> so much of, of what religion is, is negativity and hopelessness. Now, I don't know about you, I get enough of that in the world. I don't need to go to church and get that. And, uh, and so we ought to be vessels that bring that into the lives of people, that there's, there's hope in this world. The new creation, brand new, born again spirit, is righteous. Your born again spirit is righteous, and that's why it's able to say what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be the right, become the righteousness of God in Christ. Notice, it's in Christ. It's not because of what I've done, it's what Christ has done in him, in God, in Christ, in him. And so we are righteous because of what Jesus has done. It's not, it's not our performance, and we're gonna talk about that a little more in just a moment here, but, but it's not our performance that places us in that position. And then I want to, this is kind of still introduction to grace and works, don't mix. But in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in the 24th verse, 
and that you put on the new man. Well, let's back up to the 20th verse. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We put on the new man. You know, when we received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we took off that old man and we put on a new man. But you know, sometimes it's just like when we get, when we get clothed in the morning, we have to do the same thing spiritually because we've had so much other stuff try to get onto our life. And we, we need to get up in the morning, we need to put on Christ and say, this, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in it because it isn't about the circumstances of today. It's about he who lives in me and through me today. It's Jesus. And so we, we totally refocus our attention off of self and we put our attention upon Jesus. <clears throat> the reason that grace and works don't mix is because you can't be operating in works and have your attention on Jesus. It's either going to be one or the other. We're either going to focus on Jesus or we're going to focus on self. So we're either going to focus on what Jesus has already done or we're going to focus on what I need to do. And if I'm focusing on what I need to do, I'm not looking at what Jesus has already accomplished. I'm looking at it from the standpoint that I need to do it. I'm going to do it. I can handle it. And I think so often we just, we just get caught up in that, in that ignorance. But you know, I, I guess really that wouldn't be fair because ignorance means that you don't know. We do know, but we need to be reminded of it because everything around us wants to tell us a different story. It wants to tell us that we, we can't achieve. Let's go to Romans, the 10th chapter. And it says there as an introduction into that, it says, you cannot be trusting in righteousness as a gift through the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in self-righteousness at the same time. Because see, really, that's, that's what the issue is. If, if I'm depending upon my performance then what I'm looking at is self-righteousness. I'm looking at, at me. But if I'm trusting in the righteousness that comes through Christ, I'm looking to him. But notice what it says here in Romans 10, and we'll begin in the third verse. And it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Hmm. What an interesting thought there. If we're seeking to establish our own righteousness, that means that we have not submitted to the righteousness of God. 
Submission doesn't always mean understanding. Submission is a yielding. Saying, Father, I don't feel very righteous right now, but your word says that I am. I thank you. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Not based on how I, what I feel, what I see. Based on what you did. It's not on my performance. It's not on my accomplishments. It's what you've done for me. And I trust in you and in you alone. Glory to God. I lost everything. There we go. Let's move on a little further to Romans 11. Very interesting scripture. Romans 11, verse 6. For if by grace... Now, now, now to me, now, now this is just me. I don't know how this can be any clearer. I mean, this is, this is like spoken about as clear as it can possibly be. And I, I don't know how we misinterpret this, but we misinterpret this all the time. And like I said, to me, I don't know how this can be any clearer. Listen to this. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So, if it's grace, it's not work. But if I'm taking grace and combining it with works, then it's no longer grace because it's works. And the point is, we can't have it both ways. Either we're, we're walking in the grace of God, trusting him completely, or we're trusting in works. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer works. I guess I only read part of it. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now, <clears throat> is it just me? Or is that really clear? If it's work, then it's work and not grace. If it's grace, then it's grace and not works. Now, did, did, I, did I take that too much out of context there? I don't, I don't think I did. I mean, I just think it's so, so obvious. But let me tell you, there are so many people that struggle with that. They just cannot accept the fact that we are saved by grace and not by works. That salvation is completely about grace and it's not about works. Because when we begin to talk about works, it always comes back to performance. It always comes back to behavior. It always comes back how I'm, I'm dealing with things within my flesh. It's never looking at the spirit, it's always looking at the flesh. 
You're either trusting grace or works for salvation, but not a combination of the two. And so often that's what we see. They, they try to, to make it a combination of the two, and it's an absolute impossibility. You do benefit from maintaining a self-righteousness, your own actions of holiness. Now, Pastor, that just sounded like a contradiction. No, no, I'm talking about two different things here. Listen to this again, what I'm saying. You do benefit from maintaining a self-righteousness, your own acts, actions of holiness. We're to live holy. You know why? Because we're holy. And so as holy people, there are to be acts of righteousness in our life. But this is what I want us to see. Holiness is a fruit. It's not a root. Does that make any sense? Grace is the root. Everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from the root. Jesus is the root. Grace is that root. That's where we draw our, our strength. Remember the title of this entire message, Grace, the Power of the Gospel. That's where we draw our strength from, from the grace of God. But if we're drawn from the grace of God, from Jesus, then there ought to be fruit that's evident in our life. And that fruit is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Of such things there is no law. Why? Because it's not about the law. It's about bearing fruit. And how do we bear those fruit? We bear those fruit through the grace of God by accepting and recognizing what Jesus has done in our lives. How do we ever love the unlovable? It's not by trying. It's by drawing from the Spirit of God. It's by allowing His grace to work in our lives. You know, <clears throat> we often talk about God's grace concerning us, and we ought to. But you know what? When we have God's grace manifesting in our life, the, the fruit of that is that we're going to begin to demonstrate or show that grace to others. But oftentimes, you know, if, if we're under law, all that we can extend to others is law. We're going we're gonna to reap what we've sown. And, and you know what? We're going to sow what we've reaped. If I've drawn from from my works, then what is going to determine everybody else around me, whether they're, they're functioning properly or not, is going to be based upon their performance. It's going to be based upon their works. You know, I've often said, you know, <clears throat> uh, my greatest teacher for understanding the love of God were my grandkids. You know, because God loves us uh, no, I, I love my kids, too, and, you know, I, I learned it from them, too. But kids are great. Grandkids are just off the chart. You know, but, but I learned from my grandkids because, you know, I found myself saying things 
I thought I'd never say. Like, don't let your mom and dad see you do that. <laughs> you know, you know, they're peeing in the front yard and they're not supposed to be. You better hurry up so you can get your zipper because you're going to get in trouble here in a hurry. But, I, you know, it's cute. Now, as a, as a father, you know, I ought to whip that bare hiney, you know. But as, but as a grandparent, it's the cutest thing. You know, but I, you, you just, everything they do is, is marvelous. And it's like one Sunday after church and I was standing there and Emma would come up and I was hugging her and, and an individual in the church walked by me and said, I, I know as a grandparent you, can't, you don't have favorites, but it's got to be tough, isn't it? <laughs> They're perfect. But see, that's how God looks at us. And when you can begin to experience and see how you can, you can love somebody so unconditionally, and they've done absolutely nothing to earn or deserve it. I remember when Isaac was a baby, our Sunday afternoons were spent sitting in the family room watching him. Did you see that? I think he almost turned over. <laughs> Just enjoying every minute and nobody would look away because he didn't want to miss something. But really, Isaac had done nothing. Cry, poop a little, you know, but really nothing. But we loved him just totally unconditionally. And that's how God loves us. And so when we begin to recognize that and acknowledge that, we, be, we begin to receive that grace. We're able to give that grace out to others that are around us. Going back to um, Romans, the 10th chapter again. I started in the third verse, and I'm just going to start there again and then just run into the fourth verse. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted. Well, this, this, this is just a whole nother thought, but you ever thought about it from the standpoint that oftentimes when you're trusting in the grace of God, the accusation is, well, you just you just don't want to be obedient. You just don't want to do what God expects you to do. And so you're just using that as a cop-out. Here it says that if we won't submit to the righteousness of God, in other words, if I won't depend upon Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, I'm rebellious because I refuse to submit to the righteousness that he accomplished for me because I think that I can do better. And so then he goes on and he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Christ is the end of the law concerning righteousness for everybody that believes. So I believe, therefore, 
It's the end of the law concerning righteousness. In other words, I don't have to, it's not my performance that's going to end righteousness or gain me righteousness because Jesus did it. <clears throat> Notice what it says there in your notes. End basically means to terminate here. The law had a function in your life and my life. We talked about that early on. That it was through the law that we knew that we were sinners, that we needed a Savior. And through the knowledge of that, we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I can't do it. And so by faith, I receive the grace of God for salvation and I'm born again. But where the law is concerned in my life then is terminated. I no longer need the law. Why? Because I have the grace of God that is operating in my life. I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me and the primary function of the Holy Spirit in my life right now is to guide me, to direct me. That when I'm getting off course, he leads me back on course. You know, as Pentecostals, I think sometimes we think the number one function of the Holy Spirit is so that we can pray in tongues and so that we can lay hands on the sick and, 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 and see the spectacular. No, the, the, the primary function of the Holy Spirit in our life is to keep us on track. And so if we will listen to him, if we will pay attention to what he's saying and then respond, submit to that. We'll live a life of holiness and victory, but we've got, to, we've got to choose. We need to choose to believe him. But then it goes on into the fifth verse, and it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. <clears throat> you know my argument with people that that want to promote the law, fine. Just do it then. If you want to promote the law, if you want to live by the law, fine. Do it. But then in doing it, you've got to keep every jot, every tittle. You've got to keep every part of it. And if you're guilty in one part, you're guilty of all of it. And so in all of your efforts to keep the law, eventually where you come to is you've got to trust in the grace and the mercy of God because nobody can do it. Because anybody that tells me that they've never said a word out of place, I, uh, maybe that's you. I find it hard to believe. You know, but, but if you've, if you've, lied, if you've gossiped in any way, according to scripture, you're a murderer. You're an adulterer. You're guilty of the entire law. I don't want to be guilty. And I'm not guilty because Jesus has said innocent. And that's where my dependency is. It's on Jesus. And that's where all of our dependency needs to be. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man who does those things shall live by them. And so if we're going to depend upon the law, then we've got to keep the law. We've got to live by the law. We've got to fulfill everything 
that the law is speaking of. Then it goes on in the sixth verse. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your heart, or in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we speak, which we preach. The way I look at it, when we begin to talk about keeping the law, like I said, I look at it as having a performance-based relationship with God. You know, anybody that I've ever counseled with that had a performance-based relationship with their parents struggle. Because no matter how hard they tried to perform, they felt like they could never measure up. You know, I <laughs> I just I just had a thought. Maybe my growing up wasn't performance based because my parents knew better than to have any unreasonable expectations of me. <laughs> but you know, I didn't have perfect upbringing. But what I knew was my mom and dad loved me. In spite of all my mess-ups, I, I, I always knew they loved me. I mean, they disciplined me, they, you know, all that stuff. But I, I knew in my heart of hearts that mom and dad loved me. And it wasn't based on my performance, because if it was based on my performance, I would have been extremely insecure in that area. They loved me unconditionally. I've seen people that have grown up in households where everything was performance-based. They had to measure up. I believe, I believe in excellence. You know, I, my parents should have expected more of me. Eh, probably not. But I, I believe in expect, uh, excellence. I believe that we ought to have expectations of our children, of our grandchildren, of people around us. But we've got to be careful that the love of, that we have for them is not translated into how their performance is. That I love you as long as your performance is acceptable. You know, we need, we need to know that we're loved unconditionally apart from our performance. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we, we don't have expectations. You know, God saved us by grace. It was, it was totally on what Jesus did for us. But we, we can read through the scriptures and we can see that God still has expectations of us. He, he still has expectations that we fulfill the call, the purpose that he's put upon our life. He has a, 
He has an expectation that we live a, a, a victorious, prosperous life. Why? Because of what Jesus achieved for us, what he accomplished for us. <clears throat> but his love for us isn't dependent upon us measuring up to that. You know, and that's why there is benefit to self-righteousness or living a self-righteous life from the standpoint that we have expectations upon ourselves. But it isn't so that we can be pleasing to God. It's so that we can achieve what needs to be achieved on the earth. But whether we accomplish that or not does not determine whether God loves us or not. That's already been established. That doesn't determine whether or not we're going to go to heaven. That's already been established the very moment that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But that doesn't mean that we don't have, that we don't have goals and expectations and so forth. We ought to have that. I believe, the, I believe the Scripture spells that out. One of the Scriptures that I used on Sunday, I believe emphasizes that point in, in Joshua 1.8 when we're exhorted to meditate on the word day and night. For in do so, doing so, we will... Ah, i got to read it. I always know it until I'm going to speak it out loud. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it Day and night. So here's an exhortation for us to meditate in it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do what is according, uh, written according therein. For then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And so <clears throat> I don't know how you interpret that. I interpret that to mean that God wants me in life to prosper and to have good success. Good success means success in every area of my life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, economically, socially, uh, every area of my life, God wants me to prosper. And so good success means that I'm prospering in every area of life. I'm having success in every area of my life. And <clears throat> that's what he desires for us. But whether or not I am, doesn't mean he loves me or doesn't love me. He loves me, but he's given us the tools to succeed in life so that we can be a benefit to society. And he tells us in order for us to do that, there are some things that we will need to do. The primary thing that we will need to do is to meditate on the word day and night. And why is that so important? Because when you meditate on something day and night, eventually you'll begin to do it. You know, <clears throat> our thoughts always lead the way to our actions. You know, you hear people talk about how they, they fell into sin. I don't know how that happened. You know, I just, I just fell. I don't, I don't know how I fell. I just... I just fell. You know, like they're walking down the street and they tripped over a crack in the sidewalk. I don't know, I just fell. It was there and I just fell. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. 
We thought about it. We meditate on, on, meditated on it. You know, at our, our men's conference, what they what the guys say, Terry, wasn't it, and Bill, wasn't the average temptation is, is five minutes? Isn't that what he said? So, so he said, if, if when temptation comes your way, if you'll resist it for five minutes, you're, you'll, you've defeated it. And, uh, you know, but what do we do? We meditate on the temptation. And eventually what happens? We yield. We act upon it. That's how it works in the natural. But you know what? All that is is a spiritual principle that's been perverted. It's been reversed. That's how it works in the spiritual realm. If we'll take the Word of God and the principles of God, and if we will meditate in them, we will eventually begin to do them. Not because, oh, I gotta do this, I just gotta do this, oh my goodness, I gotta do this. No. It's like I say, God wants to change you want to. Do you know it's easy to do something when you want to? I don't know if you found that out or not. <clears throat> I still have at home, because thank God my wife quit eating sweets. And so all the desserts that we took home from Saturday night, they're mine. <laughs> and so at home right now, and my mouth is salivating, there is that chocolate brownie. There's, there's like two pieces of that. Was, was that good? Yeah. There's two pieces of that left. Huh? There's not enough. <laughs> and, and so uh, I've been thinking about it. And uh, I've been planning on it. And I'm going to act upon it. The moment that Pastor Becky goes upstairs, because we'll be watching different things, I'm going to have my chocolate brownie cake tonight. And uh, I'm going to do it, get this, because I want to. <clears throat> I started walking. I even, I even got some um, sweatpants and stuff out of the closet. And I walked two days and the third day it was sprinkling and I didn't want to. And so I didn't. And I haven't wanted to <laughs> since. But Sunday, Mother's Day, I'll probably overeat and I'll go to bed Sunday night and lay there and feel so totally uncomfortable. And it'll make me want to walk. And so Monday morning I will probably walk. So just pray that it doesn't rain because <laughs> I won't want to. But what do we do? We do what we want to do. And so the key to the victorious life is the want to. You know, I tried for years 
to quit smoking. Pastor Dave, you smoked. Yeah, it's just a practice in heathen. Why wouldn't I? You know, so I, I, I wanted to. And uh, I, I, let me rephrase that. I didn't want to. I liked my old goals. And uh, so I was going to trade school. And Becky would pack my lunch every day because I didn't want to eat out. We couldn't afford it. And so she'd pack my lunch with a sandwich and some chips and Oreo cookies. Love Oreo cookies. If you don't love Oreo cookies, you've got an issue. <laughs> so I'd have my Oreo cookies. And, and every noon, I was going to plumbing school, trade school, we would play Buck Euchre and eat my lunch. And uh, I always knew where I was supposed to sit because when I'd get to the table, there'd be one place where there was two cigarettes. And I would trade two Oreo cookies for two cigarettes. Now, I never told Becky. Now, don't tell her. Because <laughs> she, she wouldn't have put my Oreo cookies in there because she wanted me to quit. And I said I wanted to quit, but I really didn't want to quit. And so every day, five days a week, I don't know how I made it through the weekend, but I had my Oreo cookies. But you know what? When I got born again, I had a want to. I never had another cigarette because my want to changed. Not everything was that quick for me. Probably was for you, but it wasn't for, for me. But, I, but, but in every situation, my want to had a change. As long as I was trying to do it according to the law, because this is what everybody told me I needed to do, I wasn't very successful at it. But when my want to changed, that's when I had the victory. What's God want to do? He wants to change your want to. Now, how does he do that? He does that through the Word of God. As we meditate upon the Word of God and the grace of God is released in our life, the want to changes and we have all the tools, the ammunitions we need to change whatever needs to be changed in our life. Because somebody's judging you won't change you. You know, we've had people come to church and I've had people come up to me and they said, you know, <clears throat> Pastor, I don't know if you know this or not. I just love those conversations because I know what's coming next. But so-and-so, they've, they've got this issue. And I said, yeah, I know. You know? I, yeah, I know. Well, why don't you do something about it? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, just as soon as the Holy Ghost tells me to, I will. Because I have a feeling the Holy Ghost was dealing with other issues in their life that was more important. I brought up smoking, no condo bondo. But you know, I know people that are born again Christians and they're smoking. Well, Pastor, hell there. Just not right. Well, you know what? There's probably a whole lot bigger issues that people are dealing with. Let's, let's stop being trying to be the Holy Ghost. He is, and he's, he's got it all in hand. He does a very good job of it himself. 
But I, what I always think is interesting in the natural, you know, people that are so quick to get, condemn somebody else, <clears throat> it's always the issue they don't have. But don't mess with their issue. You know, well, I think your issue is judgment. Don't judge me. But they're judging everybody else. Let's just, let's, let's let God be God and we'll just be his vessels used to bring glory to his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God's good. We're done for tonight. So one more week of, of grace, the power of the gospel, unless I get something for the last week because the 23rd will be the, I think it's the 23rd, is the last Wednesday that we'll be gathering for the summer. And so uh, be blessed. Have a great rest of the week. See you Sunday. Have a great Oh, I intend to. <laughs> Doors locked. <laughs>